1: De Niro's uncontrollable roar of delight, Bruno Fernandes' punch of the air, Lissandro Martinez's leap into the Manchester United away end. A draw, yes, but a set of raucous celebrations that told a bigger story of how this United team under ten Hark has come together and of how this team is restoring a connection with the club supporters that was lost so painfully last season. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and with me as always is Jack Tate and today Today, we review a 1-1 draw at Chelsea Stamford Bridge. We talk about what bits of excellence from United forced Blues boss Graham Potter into first-half tactical changes, why Martinez and Luke Shaw stood out, and how the team must improve in attack. We'll also briefly mention Cristiano Ronaldo, but let's not linger on that for too long because enough other people have. Later in the show, you'll get your regular extensive women's youth and loan roundup with reports on several games. And then we'll preview Thursday's must-win UEFA Europa League match against Moldovan champions FC Sheriff of Tiraspol. Right at the end, it will be time for our bonus patron Q&A where we talk about Sancho a little bit, a bit more about Ronaldo, about the last dance and Wrexham and Rashford and a few other bits. Jack, let's begin on the Chelsea game. United looked good, especially in the first half. They outplayed Chelsea away from home at a ground. We have a very, very bad record at, at a ground where United endlessly seem to pick up draws, but very rarely manage to pick up a win. But in terms of the bigger picture now, that's over the course of just a single week United have for the... The vast majority of these games had the better of three of the league's best teams, Newcastle, Tottenham and Chelsea. I think it's a a level we didn't maybe expect from Ten Hag at this stage. It's very pleasing. It's clear there are many more problems to sort and there's much improvement to be done. But we've done well against, if you now include and go back to Arsenal and Liverpool, we've done well against four of the top six plus Newcastle the only exception being the almost unstoppable Manchester City but it's, it's really pleasing big picture wise isn't it?
0: Yeah look the, I mean these games the frustration isn't going to go away of course because we've seen United put in three very good performances and definitely don't feel like we've had the reward that the performances probably deserved but at the same time I don't think this United team is at a place at the moment where results are are absolutely everything. I don't think these draws are going to be the difference between us winning the title or not. You know, at come the end of the season. And so I think focusing, you know, Definitely. on what the long term sort of outlook is. This week has been massively positive for United. Like you said, three games against three of the five teams that are above us in the league. Three three games where we've played extremely well, dominated large portions of the game. Easily could have come out with nine points if a few different if our finishing had been slightly yeah. better on a few different occasions. I think, like you said, on in possession in particular, did not expect United to be playing at this level, looking this confident and looking like a team that really knows what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I think going into this week when we spoke, maybe after the, I can't remember after which game because there's so many in, in such quick succession, but a couple of weeks ago we were speaking and United had played well and we'd got a couple of wins and and it was looking good, but there was still concerns about a lack of, ten, an inability to really see Ten Hag's kind of ideas coming through all over the pitch. There were some signs of it in terms of how we were playing out occasionally and how we were pressing, but we didn't see loads of it. I think in the last week, forget the results, but focus on the, on not just the good performances, but how we've played in them and the quality United have shown in possession which is something that's very dramatically suddenly improved in the last week against good teams, not all of whom have put us under great pressure, but against Chelsea, Martinez and Varane were really tested by Chelsea's pressing and and came out on top, really, in terms of the ball. And also, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, how disjointed United's pressing was. And I think against Chelsea, we finally saw a really good team performance in that regard. And that was those two things combined is why the first half, in particular, second half, United didn't do well enough. But the first half was particularly encouraging, so encouraging and doing so well that Graham Potter had to make a tactical substitution in the first half. And he said post-match, he said, first 30 minutes, United were better. They forced us back. We had to get an extra midfielder in. They were building their attacks too easily, so we had to adjust it. He later he also said we didn't do enough to win the game, and, and that was true. United definitely deserved a draw and probably should have won, particularly based on that first half, which was excellent, wasn't it?
0: It was, and almost poignant in a way that it came against Graham Potter. Obviously a different team that he's at now, but you know, compared the way that United approached this game to the way that we approached Absolutely, the game yeah. with Brighton, uh, with Graham Potter in charge on the first day of the season, and it's like watching a completely different team out there. It's obviously a slightly different system that he's playing at the moment. At Chelsea, obviously different personnel, but it's very notable that United were so much better able to to completely dominate Chelsea in this game in a way that we just never were able to against Brighton or Brentford at the start of the season, especially in midfield. That is the area where it's the clearest day, the, the complete sea change that United have seen since the beginning of the season and obviously from past seasons as well. I think Gary Neville summed it up quite well about halfway through the first half on on Sky Sports where he said that Ten Hag and Potter, the way they approach the game, these systems are almost complete opposites of each other. And whichever team ends up dominating the game is going to get so much joy because Potter's system, the way he set Chelsea up, is very much to, you sort of play the game that, you don't have too many bodies in, in midfield inside, but you've got so many out wide with not you have sort of the wide centre backs that can push on, you have the wide forwards in Mountain Sterling, plus the wing backs as well. And so you've effectively got six players that can run those channels and if, if they were dominant in the game, you can get so many overloads in that area. But United managed to stop them from from being able to create those kind of overloads because of how good our press was. And then on the ball, because of the, the lack of bodies Chelsea had in midfield you know, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes, Christian Eriksen, they, they had an absolute field day in there. Yeah. You had in, you know, Rashford dropping deep at times, Shaw and Dallow occasionally coming inside and United just had so many bodies in midfield to completely dominate the game. And, and that, like you mentioned.
1: not just Not just in possession, but also that was part of the reason what was so good about the first half is how sustained the pressure was because we continually won the second balls. In terms of on the ball, we recycled possession well. We very rarely moved it sideways. We often moved it backwards, but then immediately we went back forwards. This is something we've spoken about with Ten Hag before, going backwards to right. progress. But in uh, off the ball, there were, we just had the bodies in there. So every time we attacked, whether it was Ericsson, Casimir or whoever, would suddenly... Win the ball, and it was it. it, it meant it, you really felt feel in these last few games and Almaneer as well. You know the ability United have had to sustain possession, but also pressure, and really kind of build that thing that we've always seen with City do to teams, where you just feel like a goal's inevitable in the end. Our finishing or our final ball hasn't been good enough to make it feel inevitable yet, but it, it has that sense about it.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. The and it's obviously United. I think the the clearest improvement that you're seeing in United is on the ball, just because that is the easiest thing to spot you know the United are much more dominant in terms of their share of possession in terms of even just the parts of the pitch where we're playing the game we're playing a lot further forward we're managing to keep the ball much better in those attacking phases but a lot of that is set up and facilitated by the fact that we just never allowed Chelsea to get any settled possession our press was was so good and I think with Chelsea's system in particular the players that can be a real danger are those wide centre-backs because they're the ones really that create those overloads in that wide area. If you're not good enough to with your press to sort of force those wide centre-backs to stay deep because they they have no route forward with the ball, they're the ones that could... You know, players like Mark Kukure, he can play as a left-back. So if you've got then, say, Sterling and, or Aubameyang, whoever it is on the left-hand side up front for Chelsea, plus Chilwell, plus Kukure on that left-hand side, we, we can't handle it. But United's press was so good that we never allowed Chelsea to really get... We never allowed them any sort of freedom on the ball where those wide centre-backs could push up and could kind of create those overloads. They were forced to, to sort of stay hemmed in at the back. And if they wanted to try and get out, it forced a long ball. And if you've got you know, Varane and Casemiro you're going to win a lot of those aerial balls even Martinez is very good in the air despite his height so United's press really I think was what sort of set the table allowed us to dominate that game in the way that we did
1: yeah yeah yeah. And I thought that combination of Varane, who's got the, the stature to win those, um, those high balls and Martinez, who's got the aggression and the, the proactive style of defending to win those was, was really important. I think that in terms of the pressing, let's talk a little bit about how that actually manifested itself and, and whether it's something that we can expect to see a lot more, uh, going forward. I think the, the big thing I noticed was the role of the fullback. So I think we criticized both in and out of possession recently. Uh Shaw did very well. Dallow also did very well in this game, having had a couple of poor ones, uh, not against Tottenham but against Newcastle. The fullbacks pushing up really well onto the Chelsea wing backs. The front three kept their position well and there's a conversation there to be had about the absence of Ronaldo and the involvement of Rashford. Uh and, and as you referred to earlier, that kind of ruled out the centre backs and, and forced those. But also the other thing I I was impressed with was just the consistency in how the team responded to certain events. They're always called triggers in in the coaching community. What is the trigger that's going to force the press? In this case, most often it was the moment that Kepa passed the ball out rather than before. United would let him have possession for a couple of seconds and when when he passed the ball, it was suddenly like that. I thought that's what looked so disjointed a couple of weeks ago was that players were pressing and others weren't and that's the worst kind of thing to have because you can just play through. But this time it was it looked much more well-drilled.
0: Something that I think gets lost occasionally when talking about a high press is that we all sort of think of a high press as just this kind of helter-skelter way of defending where you're constantly harrying the person on the ball you're giving them no time at all and and that is sometimes the way you know you want to win the ball back within sort of two or three seconds of giving it away but actually one of the biggest benefits of a press sometimes is not necessarily to put the person on the ball under tons of pressure it's more that you're able to kind of set the terms of engagement further up the pitch like sometimes depending on the game situation it's okay if a team if they have a decent amount of space to work in and their body's available. It's too easy to pass around the press if you go going really cavalier and try and put loads of pressure on the ball carrier. They'll just play a one-two around you and they, then you're completely out of the game. I thought what United did so well and what we're clearly improving at is that you're effectively able to dictate where the game is played and the options that are available even when you don't have the ball. There was a really clear example of this. It was at 29 minutes 40. I went back and watched this because it was so impressed when I watched it the first time. Chelsea have a free kick in their left back position. Kukurea gets the, uh, takes the free kick. They get cycled through the defence the, the to Kepa and eventually goes out to Azpilicueta in the right wing back position. Through that whole sequence, cycling the ball all the way across Chelsea's defence, the player on the ball is never really under any huge amount of pressure. Like you mentioned, Harry, never put Kepa under pressure. But as soon as the ball goes to Azpilicueta, that's when United kind of really engage. Shaw puts him under a lot of pressure, exactly like you mentioned, stopping him from being able to kind of go forward and use the width that Chelsea had in their system. And the only pass that Azpilicueta had on it was he made a good pass, was a first-time ball inside to Sterling. So now, because you forced that pass, to the only put the only way that it was available, there was no other option on for Azpilicueta there. You're then able to control how that next engagement with Sterling is going to happen as well. Sterling is in quite a dangerous position; he's about. 10 yards, I'd say, the deeper than the centre circle. If he's able to turn there, United have got six men ahead of the ball. So if Sterling is able to turn, he's got loads of space to yeah. run into and only four United players that are able to stop that from that attack from happening. But because Martinez is so easily able to see that Sterling is as Azpilicueta's only option when he's on the ball, Martinez can commit to Sterling. He's able to shut him down, stop him from being able to turn. So Sterling, by the time he gets the ball, Martinez is tight on him and his only option is to go back. So then, and then that whole process starts again. The ball goes back to Chelsea's defence. Their only option is to kind of cycle it through. And this time, because United have, have a lot more bodies higher up the pitch already, we can commit to that press a little bit more. So then you're able to put more pressure on Keper is then under pressure because, again, we've got more bodies already in, in that area of the pitch. He's forced to go long and the ball end up, ends up falling to shore and United win it back. That whole process, it took 20 seconds for United to win the ball back. And it all comes actually from not being too over-aggressive in that initial press. And it means that we're able to completely dictate the corridors that Chelsea are able to play in. And it means you're able to basically set the terms of engagement in all of those duels that you have. And it it worked to a T so many times throughout that first half. But I was just so impressed that... I think a team, when they're learning something like this, it's very easy to do the same thing, no matter what the situation. But United seem to be learning that, like you mentioned, depending on the trigger, the way you would need to approach that press needs to be slightly different.
1: Yeah, agreed. Very good example. The obvious question to ask is, United played very well. We've just spent 12 minutes praising our performance in the first half, but the score was nil-nil at time and we drew the game 1-1. Why was that? Well, uh, there were a couple of moments of of very good opportunities that were missed. Marcus Rashford forced Kepa into a great save at at one point where he received the ball from a little clipped ball from Anthony in midfield, drove forward very well, opened up the space for himself and and shot pretty well. Good save from Kepa. You'd hope he could score, but a pretty good save and a pretty good attempt. Anthony had an even better attempt that uh, people were actually celebrating in the pub I watched. Uh, the game in, including me, but <laughs> then suddenly realised that the camera could have deceived everyone and it, in fact gone wide of the right post when he really should have scored. That being said, United missing those two opportunities is not the reason or not the only reason that it was nil-nil at halftime. There were faults in the attack and I think this is something we've referred to before that the fluency in attack that we might expect from a Ten Hag United one day in the future is probably going to be the hardest thing and the, the most time-consuming thing to achieve and the attack is is not good enough and that's why we're getting these good but frustrating performances and, and therefore frustrating results as against Omnia. Uh Not a frustrating result but as against Newcastle and Chelsea, whereas Spurs, we managed to get a, a very good finish from Bruno and, and some fortune from Fred's goal. What's what's the problem in attack, do you think? Because it's not just poor finishing, there is that, but I think it's also down to the, the choice of shots that United are taking. If we take even the Spurs game, I think it's always helpful to take some examples from, from a game that we actually did very well in. That was a fantastic performance, brilliant performance, but the choice of shots often was poor. United had loads of shots but not all of very very high value. We had lots of opportunities but we weren't making them. We weren't choosing the perfect opportunity to shoot and that's what Ten Hag will will be working on that that kind of patience to wait for the final ball. And I think we saw it probably more against Newcastle where everyone there was that balance where against Tottenham we shot a lot but not often particularly well even though we won the game Newcastle we waited a lot more before shooting but still couldn't quite get the right balance so he's looking for the right balance but against Chelsea it was the choice the choice of timing to shoot and where to shoot from wasn't always good as well as the finishing not being great
0: i think i think at the most basic level one of the problems that united have at the moment is bodies in the box there have been a number of occasions where United are in a really good attacking position, especially against Newcastle and Spurs. I notice this a lot. We're in a really good attacking position. Maybe Anthony has the ball on the right, or Sancho or Shaw on the left, and it looks like a, a pretty traditional, you know, area where you're getting a, a good cross into the box. And hopefully, have a striker run across the near post. Maybe the winger from the opposite side coming around the back, and then you traditionally probably have one body from midfield get in there as well. Not dissimilar, actually, to the the header that Casemiro missed against. Everton, I think it was, where Rashford put that great ball in from the the left wing and Casemiro came through and just headed it wide. You know, that is the kind of situation I think United have got themselves into a lot and done really well to get themselves into those situations. But there there just haven't been enough bodies in the box to be able to put a cross in, And so then the ball ends up getting recycled. You know, United have done really well at, at sustaining that pressure, at recycling and being patient. But even though there is a lot to be said for being patient and not trying to force an option that maybe isn't there... There is also something to be said for creating those options a little bit more. And and sometimes, like you were saying, if you're patient long enough, someone is going to end up having a shot from outside the box that, you know, you might score them once every once in a while, but they aren't they aren't the high percentage chances that we want to be creating. And it's still the challenge, I think, for this United team that we're struggling to create chances outside of transitions. I I think partially what we're dealing with is that. With Sancho on the left, even if it's Rashford on the left too, but especially with Sancho on the left and with Anthony on the right, we've obviously got two wingers that primarily want to come inside. We've then also got three bodies in midfield in Casemiro, Ericsson, or maybe Fred, and Bruno Fernandes. And we've then got striker in Rashford recently, who, even though he's probably at his best running in behind, we when we have the ball in you know control possession, there isn't any space to run in behind. So he's sort of forced to come a little bit short as well. So we've got a lot of bodies, you know, potentially up to six bodies playing in that sort of relatively central part of the pitch, but they all come in relatively short as well. Yeah. We aren't stretching defences very much. And it means that even in, even when we have, you know, Sancho or Anthony beats a man or Shaw or Dallow makes a really good overlap, there just aren't enough bodies in the box to be able to make that a good option. And, and if, if we recognise that, the ball gets recycled. And if you do that long enough, someone is going to shoot from outside the box yeah. eventually. And it, it's all about how do we how do we make sure we're not forcing it We're not just putting crosses in the box for no reason. We're not just, you know, getting eight bodies in the box every time we go forward. How do we do it with some purpose? It's not just aimless crosses, but also, and this isn't just four crosses, by the way, it's just bodies in the box in general. But how do we do that in a way that allows us to still keep possession, but make some of these more high percentage chances that we just still aren't creating?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's a few things here. It might involve sacrificing the safety of a midfielder sitting a little bit back and getting them involved in the box more, whether that's Casemiro, Bruno, McTominay or, or Fred. It also might just involve the players changing how they play a bit and, and being more confident to instead of passing quickly and safely to kind of draw a player in and then beat them in the way that Paul Scholes was so good at that kind of, there's an amazing goal uh I can't remember who it's against now but it was late in the season I think in 2007 or 8 where United are really under pressure and it's been one of those days at Old Trafford where we seemingly just can't score it's late on in the title race and we need to win the game can't for the life of me remember who it is but and, and there's kind of been people rushing all, all game but Skulls wins the ball back in just outside the box and then kind of shapes up to shoot but goes past one then two then three and then finally once the perfect opportunity is presented itself then shoots and scores because he's waited for like the perfect chance and it always sums up to me the kind of that that's the the genius of his pulse goals while everything's moving at such incredible pace around him in his head it just kind of slowed down and he could see everything of also a maybe even another level what Messi's always been so amazing at. And players are going to have to take inspiration from those those two absolute geniuses. Uh, but also, United obviously missing a striker, aren't we?
0: Yeah, massively, massively. And and Ten Hag said as much after the game. In, in some ways, not, I don't want to talk about the Ronaldo situation too much, but in some ways, I think this week, the way it ended, almost worked out perfectly for both Ten Hag and Ronaldo because it worked out perfectly for Ten Hag because we've proved that we can play... Not only effectively but at our very best without Ronaldo, but the Chelsea game was also a very clear example that we still need a striker with some of the qualities that Ronaldo has you know it was and Ten Hag said as much after the game that there are going to be times when we need Ronaldo we need that ability to be a bit more of a traditional striker to make better better runs to get himself into goal scoring positions to hopefully be a bigger goal scoring threat than rashford is and and there's no I don't think there's any getting away from the fact that Rashford isn't a natural, isn't a traditional striker. He can still make some great runs, but at times we do need a bit more of a, of a traditional sort of striker's presence up front. Yeah. When that can come is, you know, we'll we'll see because in fairness, speaking purely about on pitch stuff, Ronaldo hasn't really proven that he's still got that in him this season so far. To be fair, there's been a lot of mischances, a lack of conviction is what we've said a lot. So Where that comes from, I I don't really know, but it's definitely going to be a challenge for United. You know, We've got through, mentioned that this has been a difficult week. We've played so many of the top half of the Premier League already this season. We are now going to go on a run for the next, well, I was about to say month or six weeks, but it's about a month or six weeks worth of games, but stretched over about two months because of the World Cup. But between now and sort of the end of January, we go on, on paper, quite an easy run in the Premier League. And I say on paper because...
1: They might. These are going to be be teams that
0: are going to allow us to have a lot of the ball. They're going to sit back against us and those are the games that we struggle to break teams down. And so this is a challenge that we're going to have to face head on over the next, you know, five or six games,
1: especially. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Before we talk slightly more about Ronaldo and Ten Hag's handling of it about Varane's injury, Martinez and Shaw standing out against Chelsea. Let's have the first clue of guess the player. This was a feature we started last week where I set Jack three clues to guess a former or current Manchester United player or significant member of the coaching staff. The answer last week was Michael Carrick, who this on today, we're recording on Monday, 24th of October, Michael Carrick has been announced as the new Middlesbrough manager, so best of luck to him. This week, Jack will be setting me the clues. If I guess it off the first clue, then I get three points. If I guess it off the second clue, I get two points. And if I guess it off the third clue, I get one point and no points, obviously, if I don't get it. And then uh, we'll have a first clue then, then a bit more talk about the Chelsea game, then the second, and then a third clue after the youth loan and women's roundup. So Jack, do you want to go ahead?
0: Yeah, and a quick reminder for the rules as well. So you can guess after any clue that you want, but if you guess after the first clue and you get it wrong you then can't yeah. guess again until after the third one. But if you guess after the second one and get it wrong, you can still guess after the third one as well. All right, so first clue is, among players to have played for Manchester United from outside of the UK and Ireland, I've made the fifth most appearances of all time for the club.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: So I'll repeat it. So among players not... From the UK or Ireland, I have made the fifth most appearances of all time for Manchester United.
1: Okay, I'm pretty sure the Hay's just gone. Well, not just gone, but is is top of among players from outside the UK and Ireland for appearances. I think I'll wait until the the next clue. I'm pretty. I, I know keepers lead the way because Schmeichel's nearly 400, and I'm pretty sure there's not many foreign players with with many more appearances than that. But I'll I'll give it until
0: doesn't necessarily mean just Europe as well. Yeah.
1: Okay. understood I'll I'll give it until the next clue
0: you are I'll I'll give you one for free you are right about De Gea being the most the one with the highest appearances from outside the UK and Ireland
1: Okay, excellent I'm pretty sure Schmeichel's in the next either second or third not sure anyway I'll bear that in mind let's talk uh, first yeah very briefly on Ronaldo it was I mean, when I, when I sent a little clip from the Spurs game, I don't think I was even aware that it happened yet. I was just to sit above the tunnel or stand above the tunnel. I didn't even notice it happening. But since I think Ten Hag's honesty and authority has been absolutely excellent with it. I don't want to dwell on it too much. It's been spoken about loads, but Ten Hag's done this really well, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's dealt with it brilliantly. Couldn't have really asked for a better way to do it. He's made it very clear that it's not okay. He's obviously dished out the punishment for that and publicly done that. So, it's very clear to everyone watching that there has been some consequences for it, but at the same time, hasn't shut the door. And I thought it was, like I said, I think it was very pointed that he mentioned how much we could have used Ronaldo in this game. Yeah. Both as a way to highlight, you know, how annoying and frustrating it is that he did what he did against Spurs, but also slightly open the door to to a way, a way back in. Yeah. But it is a it is a situation that is going to become more and more difficult if Ronaldo can't accept that role. And I think Ten Hag, I mentioned this to to George as well, I think Ten Hag is building his authority quicker and stronger than any other post-Ferguson manager at Manchester United. And I think this situation has only furthered Yeah.
1: And I also think building, and this is actually important in terms of how much pressure will come under if there's a few defeats, but also I think this has built his support in the general press and media. Maybe not from Roy Keane and Piers Morgan and Kevin Peterson, but <laughs> from the general football media, I think there's a lot of respect with how the honesty with which he's dealt this and the no trying to hide the facts or, or keep things. He's kept the right things private, but when he was asked bluntly, did Ronaldo walk out and did he refuse to play? He just said, yes. And that's it. That's, yeah. And, I, 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 and I I've that. got to
0: say, massively <laughs> disappointed in a lot of x Man United players that have come out supporting Ronaldo after years yeah. and years of saying how much players are undermining managers authority. And there's yeah. been so much talk that, you know, United have cycled through so many managers. It can't be the manager's fault. And yeah. basting players like Paul Pogba in particular, and among others, for, you know, player power, all this kind of stuff. But as soon as it's their poster boy, Ronaldo it's one rule for him and one rule for everyone else.
1: Yeah. As someone who can be a poster boy, Lissandra Martinez, what a man. Yeah. If he, I've I've written a, a semi-love letter to Lissandra Martinez in the next edition of United We Stand, which is out for Thursday's game against Sheriff, I think, and obviously on on sale online as well. But what a brilliant player and his celebrations were just, that's just so good, so good to see. And in fact, Casemiro's as well. And I think that, I'm pretty sure I saw an interview Casemiro saying he wouldn't, he was asked how he celebrated his first goal and the answer he gave was certainly not that. He went absolutely mental. It was <laughs> I love to see it. He didn't even know, but he, he didn't know what to do. It was kind of a double jump that looked like a out-of-control GTA player or something. It was it was brilliant. I think um, I said a few
0: weeks ago that I, yeah. love, I love any goal where the player, it's, they're almost like shocked that it went in. And the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the joy just kind of overcomes them, and this was definitely one
1: of those. It was a great header, actually, that forced him Yeah, really, it was almost brilliant from Kepa as well. But Martinez, yeah, in I, defense I'm, su- I'm surprised at
0: how much stick, uh, like criticism Kepa's been getting for this. Like, I, it was one he maybe could have saved, but I think it would have been a really, really good save to keep that. Out. Yeah,
1: same. Yeah. Martin, great header. Martinez on the ball, excellent, so composed. But yeah, just the practice defence is is brilliant, and the way he, I loved his response to the fan, the pictures of him kind of screwing in the face of a United <laughs> fan in the way. and I was very jealous of, of whoever that United fan was. I think I saw him tweet he called Sammy or something. It was it was great. Uh, Luke Shaw as well. I thought was really Casemiro was great, but I thought Luke Shaw was really good as well. I don't know, found an interesting stat tweeted by United Arena who said. Uh, Luke Shaw made more high intensity runs which are defined as anything over 20 kilometers an hour uh, more high intensity runs than any other United player and just the contrast between Shaw when he's really going for it and when he's not is amazing I mean not not amazingly a good way kind of amazing in a bad way you just wish we could see this consistently which we did for one season on Darley and then into the Euros for England but it was really missing last year so I just hope we see it more
0: yeah both of them have, have made such a huge difference obviously with Martinez we've seen it right the way through the season well especially after the since after the Brentford game we've really seen him shine in this United team but I think even with Shaw to be fair since he's kind of come into the team in place of Malassia over the last month even compared to what it was like previously I think you're seeing what Shaw can offer us that Malassia couldn't and I don't think that's a criticism necessarily of Malassia. I think it's just two players in very different stages of their career. Luke Shaw should be a much more assured, accomplished, refined player at, you know, what what is he now? 28, something like that, maybe even older. Whereas Malassia is, you know, 21, 22, and is still very raw and developing. And I think it's shown, especially in attack, the value that that Shaw can give us. That left-hand side of United's defence, the difference... Maguire used to play on that, that left-hand side. And to be fair, I think for quite a while, Maguire and Shaw were quite a good partnership on that yeah. left-hand side when they were both in good form. But the difference now, not only with having two left footers in Martinez and Shaw, but also just in the, the qualities that Martinez brings is huge. The, the ability to progress the ball on that left-hand side is so far in, so far beyond what we've seen in previous years. Like I, I play centre-back myself and it's difficult Playing on the left-hand side of a defence, it's difficult to play forward passes from there because it's so difficult for your body to be in the right shape to play forward passes confidently on your strongest foot. And so often you sort of end up having to default to playing it out to the left back because it's just the easy pass to make. And actually the fact that I think Shaw has been able so much better to play in those triangles with Martinez and usually Ericsson or maybe Fred on that left-hand side of midfield... Is made such a huge difference to the way United can build up from the back. And one thing I noticed a lot against both Spurs and Chelsea is United really seem to have hit on how important it is to to switch the play from fullback to fullback. Something we never really see from United, but we see it from a lot of other good teams that that play similar-ish kind of styles to what Ten Hag seems to be wanting to implement at United. And there were so many occasions in the, over the last week where Dallow especially would play really good switches of play to Shaw, and then that would that's what would lead to these good attacks that sure would kind of be leading up the left-hand side. It's what led to that shot that he hit across the goal in the first couple of minutes against Chelsea. You know, that the, there has been a massive, massive improvement there. And I think that left-hand side, the difference between that, what we had last season and what we have now is, is massive.
1: Yeah, agreed. Rafa Varane was playing really well, looked absolutely devastated in tears when he went down. It looks like he'll be out for three to four weeks with either a hamstring or groin problem. Uh, it's a real shame because the United were starting to get a really settled team in the hole together. There were obviously changes with Fred and McTominay yeah. and uh, Rashford and Ronaldo and Sancho and Anthony, but generally a really settled team. So it's a real shame, but he could still make the World Cup, which is good. But yeah, he was really good. And and you mentioned triangles there with Shaw, Martinez and, and others, but they were kind of seen all over the pitch and there was a really lovely attack we brought together, which ended in a Luke Shaw shot that went just wide of the right post that came from this lovely little bit of play between Casemiro Eriksen and and Bruno Fernandes. It was really nice to watch. Jack, before we go to the women's youth and loan roundup, time for the second, uh, the second clue of guess the player.
0: All right, so clue number two. I played against Manchester United in both the season directly before I joined the club and the season directly after I joined the club in the knockout stages of the Champions League. But my only winner's medal from the competition was won with United.
1: Okay. Interesting. Okay.
0: So I can say that again. That was a bit of a mouthful. So I played against... Manchester United in the knockout stages of the Champions League in both the season directly before I joined the club and the season directly after I left. But my only winner's medal in the Champions League was one while I was a player
1: at United. Okay. So there's a few names going around. I obviously know it's not De Gea. Anyway, I know it's not Schmeichel, although I know he's up there. The other names going around in my head for most appearances, Evra is a real possibility. Having signed from Monaco and then played for Juventus after, so I'm I'm looking for a player who's played a lot of champ, played for United a lot, and has played for several Champions League teams. But I don't, uh, I don't. United didn't play Monaco or Juventus in those years, so I can rule ever out. So, we signed. You can probably
0: probably work out as well that they won either in '99 or 08 because that 1968 winning team didn't have many players outside the UK and Ireland.
1: Solskjaer will be up there, but he wouldn't have played us in uh, in a Champions League game. The only other names you can think... I mean, Ronaldo, no, because of the fact he had to play directly against us before and after. He didn't do that, but he is somewhere up there. I don't know whether he's quite crept into the top five yet. He probably has, actually. Vidic, I know he's around there, but I don't think so. The other one, I think I might know who it is. Yeah, I let me see your actually played for Inter Milan okay. before
0: yeah that is correct
1: is that correct okay Mikhail Silvestre that is correct played for Arsenal after that's Denis. very so very good we won the Champions League 2008 then he left Yep. played for Arsenal in the 2009 semi-final
0: semi-final yep
1: yeah the one where Ronaldo scored the free kick in and then he joined us from Inter and we played Inter all the time in the 90s yeah we played them 96 and 98 I'm pretty sure he joined in 99.
0: So yeah, so he joined the like immediately after we won the Champions League in 99 and he played in the second leg of the quarter final for Inter against United. And that was his only season at Inter. He was at Rennes before that. And then, yeah, moved to away from United immediately after we won the Champions League in '08. So he kind of spanned just the time between the two Champions League wins. Moved to Arsenal, played against us in the semi-finals. You named a lot of the other the other names that were up there for non-British and Irish players, United, De Gea, Schmeichel, Solskjaer, Everett.
1: There aren't many. No, there aren't. The only reason I, I think the only reason I had... I could have that many names in my head is because De Gea's because De Gea recently passed in 500 I've seen the the list of of uh, non-British and Irish appearance
0: so I I think I think the top sort of seven so you mentioned De Gea is top then Schmeichel you were right with that one as well he's got just under 400 then it's Evra and Solskjaer they're the four that are ahead of Silvestre Sylvester's the fifth, and then Ronaldo and Antonio Valencia are the next two.
1: Can can Ronaldo creep up further?
0: Uh, yes, he probably will. He he might pass Silvestre. He's about twenty nineteen appearances behind Sylvester, so he could he could pass okay. him, and then he's another five behind Solskjaer
1: well we'll see about 19 appearances not if he leaves in January which is something we'll be talking about in the patron Q&A the,
0: the final clue by the way was was going to be I was a regular for United in the early to mid 2000s but I was eventually pushed out of the starting lineup by my fellow countryman Patrice ah, Ever
1: interesting I think I would have I hope I would have got it from that if I hadn't got it from there let's go to a youth loan and women's roundup now Okay, time for our women's youth and loan roundup. Beginning with the under twenty ones, Sholo Shola Shuretire provided further last-second inspiration for United as they visited Fleetwood Town in the Papa John's Trophy three days after Shoretire had scored twice in injury time at Chelsea for a 3-3 draw. Two victories by the same 2-1 scoreline over Carlisle United and Barrow had already secured progression into the Papa John's Trophy knockout stages for United, who headed to Highbury Stadium in Fleetwood with a four-point advantage over our Group G rivals. The young Reds took a 21st minute lead when Charlie McNeil offered a cheeky Penenka from the penalty spot. Kobi Minor had been brought down for the foul. Nathan Bishop then made a crucial early second half save before Amari Forson sent a shot narrowly wide of the left post. Fleetwood equalised on the hour mark with Carlos Mendes Gomez's deflected effort past Nathan Bishop and five minutes later the home side win front with Joe Garner's providing a beautifully executed inside the box cheeky lob when he was given just a second too much time on the ball by the United defence. Travis Binion's side were moments away from tasting defeat for the first time this season in the competition when Tom Huddleston, the overage player coach, fed Chiratire with a clever pass into a crowded penalty area the English attacking midfielder showed fantastic composure to finish and take the game to penalties, which were conducted in front of the 800 or so United travelling support. Mark Gerardo, Kobe Mino, Tom Hodlson and Ted Emeghi converted their penalties, Joe Hugel struck the post and Shurateri had an effort saved, while the home side missed only one with Bishop saving from Mendes Gomez. So Fleetwood won 5-4 in a shootout defeat for United, which gave Fleetwood the extra point. But United now into the knockout stages. In the league, Ted and Mengi got his first start of the season in the weekend victory over Wolves. In an entertaining fixture, Wolves took a 56-minute lead on the counter-attack with Harvey Griffiths' shot taking a deflection past Radic Vitek. Substitute Joe Hugo closed down the goalkeeper to poke United level, but not for long. Wolves were back ahead four minutes later with a great free kick from James Hodnett before more good pressing from United restored parity. Shuritire noticed a heavy touch pounced and tucked it home really impressively given that he was limping from the challenge in which he'd won the ball. And now coming up this week for the under-21s is a first home game in the Premier League International Cup which is an exciting competition. sparta Prague, are the visitors in Altrincham on Wednesday night at the Jade Davidson Stadium kick-off at 7pm and tickets are available for that one if anyone's wanted to go. Monaco a second up with a big night at Old Trafford on on the 11th of November before PSV Eindhoven on the 19th of December. At least Sports Village tickets available for all of those for any fans wanting to go to them. Manchester United women's winning start to the women's Super League season continued on Sunday afternoon but not in glorious style. Mark Skinner's side were 1-0 winners against Leicester City with summer assigning Nikita Paris scoring her first league goal ahead of from a Katie Zellem first half free kick. Goalkeeper Mary Earps had to be in good form to deny Leicester in the second half. It was a poor performance that didn't please fans much from United which leads us to two conclusions I think. A. That the expectations around the team have risen such that even in victory the performance can be criticised and that's a good thing but B there are concerns as to whether further performances like this will lead to United slipping down the table and out of a title race the team had 68 possession the team had 68% possession and five shots in target, the same as Leicester. And there were concerns that the team didn't uh, didn't put enough emphasis on attacking, uh, especially from the fullbacks who some thought had stayed in defence too much. That all being said, it's one blip after several very good games and another clean sheet and United are now exactly level with Arsenal at the top of the WSL table. Four wins, 12 points in four games. Both teams have scored 11 goals and conceded none. Arsenal ahead on alphabetical order. In low news, Ethan Laird returned from injury for Queen's Park Rangers in midweek during a 3-0 home win over Cardiff City before playing the full 90 minutes in a 2-1 home victory against Wigan Athletic. A result which ensures QPR maintain their championship top spot position. They're level with Blackburn Rovers but with a game in hand and it's great that Ethan's part of a high-flying team like this one and even better that he's come back quickly from injury. Ahmad continues to improve at Sunderland and scored his first goal for the Black Cats in a dramatic 4-2 home defeat to Burnley at the weekend. The Ivorian winger put his side ahead after 16 minutes, but a loss leaves his team 14th in the league. Hannibal came off the bench for Birmingham in an away defeat to Blackburn Rovers. Manager Don Eustace had to explain post-match why Hannibal didn't start. He described his recent performances as phenomenal, said he has broken records for total distance, all that kind of stuff, but explained that it's important he uses his whole squad and and makes sure everyone gets an opportunity. Alvaro Fernandes' Preston were beaten 4-2 at Blackpool. Mate Kovács, Sparta Prague, suffered a 4-0 defeat against rivals Slavia. And Ethan Galbraith played almost an hour for Salford City in a 2-0 home defeat to Stockport County. FC Sheriff come to town on Thursday, Moldovans in Manchester, not a clue how many Moldovans will be traveling over for this one. I haven't seen the support Sheriff got in Moldova was massive, but it was not an organized. It didn't sound in the stadium like an organized kind of fan culture. So how many will be able to come over? I don't know, but it's very exciting for them. Having played at the Did Sheriff, they did play at the Bernabeu or did they? Because they beat Real Madrid, oh,
0: I'm not sure. But yeah, obviously
1: I'm the Bernabeu sure. was the construction, so I can't remember whether they actually managed to do it in the Bernabeu. Anyway, it is very exciting for them, nevertheless, to come to Old Trafford. Moldovans are going absolutely mental for this. As for United, we just have to win it so that we can set up a must-win kind of winner-takes-all match against Sociedad, Real Sociedad in in uh, a week later in San Sebastian. That's pretty much it, isn't it, Jack?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know this. The, the goal against Armenia, Nicosia actually. Old Trafford could end up being a really, really vital goal for United because yeah. that obviously kept us in with a sniff of still getting through our Europa League group. If we beat Sheriff, then we have to go to San Sebastian and win. Is it, it's head-to-head, isn't it, in the in European competitions? That's the tie wreck, So We just have so, to yeah. beat Sociedad by more than a goal, effectively.
1: Yeah, I think it would then and I think, it would then go to goal difference, I think, if we won by right, one Would it one go nil. to...
0: Yeah, I'm always so confused by it because I think at one point, didn't they have it was like goals scored, but in... So you have like goal difference in the head-to-head games. Oh, right. But then also like goals scored in the head-to-head. So, I'd, so like a 2-1 win might be enough for United. We'll I will leave I don't that know. for the, the uh, But basically, we need to go there and beat them by a couple of goals. And so... Yeah. And given how the that sort of pre knockout round is shaping up in the Europa Looks League, because hard, all the teams yeah. come down from the Champions League, I mean that's going to probably going to be more difficult than the Champions League round of sixteen. To be honest, yeah. you know, United could end up playing some really big names in there. So a really vital couple of weeks. I think this is definitely the time, though. I think. 10 hard needs to rotate. I know that there is still a lot to work on. United's depth isn't great. And we've seen the drop off that we can have when we have to. But there rotate. are players you can
1: play like Langer, Yes. Who hasn't got a lot of, a lot of minutes. And yeah, there are very good young players you can bring in as well, who deserve an opportunity. You just have to make sure you've got enough strength on the bench that you can do around Madrid and, yeah, I mean, in fact, they didn't do it against Sheriff at the Bernabeu. I've just checked it was <laughs> at the Bernabeu as well. But Real Madrid's skill in the Champions League is to never actually be very good in the group stages, but somehow to win all six matches and go through and then win the competition. You basically need to do that, do that in the Europa League, kind of. If if you're losing at 55 minutes, then think, ah, oh, right, let's, let's sort this out. But yeah, he's definitely got to rotate because there's more. Yeah, it's a, a really tricky period coming up.
0: And you know, we're, we're at home against a team that we should comfortably be beating, especially at Old Trafford. No matter who we are, who we have on the pitch. Yeah. So this is definitely the time to make some changes to rotate. Maybe a time to get Ronaldo back into the fold. You know, it, we'll is see, def- yeah, this is a really tough period of the season where we're going to be playing three games a week. Even, even though United have had three games a week for most of the season, this is really the first time we're going to have it for consecutive weeks over the period of like a month or two because we obviously had all the postponements for the Queen passing away. Then we had the international break, but now until the World Cup, it is just a brutal schedule and United need to make sure that we, we're not having too many injuries. We're keeping everyone fresh. So this is definitely the time to rotate. Like you said, someone like Ilanga, I think should come in and start. We might see some minutes for the likes of Z- Zidanec Bow, Charlie Savage, someone like that.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: probably Melassia will come back in. Maguire might get a start. I think you, you'll probably see quite a lot of changes from United.
1: Yeah, a brutal time coming up. Let's end on a more positive note. United fifth on 20 points, one point off four, three points off third, and a favourable run coming up. There's definitely things to be very positive and encouraged by.
0: Well, since... I, I don't mean to discount the first two games of the season, because obviously they were very bad. But since that defeat to Brentford, we United have taken in the next... So we've, we've played nine games since then in those same that same nine games we've taken the same number of points as Man City 20 out of 27 and only two less than Arsenal who have taken 22 out of those 27 mm. so it's obviously it needs to be shown for longer but that is a fairly long period of time where United have had form that is up there with the best in the league and I don't I don't remember too many periods where we've gone that that long with that kind of form for United in the last couple of years
1: that's a very positive thing to end on so positive in fact I'm going to skip the Twitter bit <laughs> you all know where to find us on so Twitter let's smile be happy with that and <laughs> just go look at the Premier League team exactly. and have a great week we'll speak to you on Friday morning after the Sheriff game goodbye Now, gambling terms, push, a wager that results in a tie, even money, bet with the same payout as you wager. Legit, knowing where it's truly legal to gamble in Colorado. You can enjoy legal gaming in Blackhawk, Central City, Cripple Creek, as well as licensed online sports and off-track betting in Colorado. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER.